Hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll chat with a friend whom I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8:28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll share writing and publishing questions from our listeners. However, once in a while, I'll offer bonus content, a special interview that's out of the norm for the format of our show, and today is one of those days. So let's get started. Welcome to the All Things Podcast and another bonus content episode where we are continuing the conversation about racial injustice. And with me today is Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, who is a board-certified internal medicine physician, speaker, and author. She is an international wellness expert featured in numerous media outlets, including Prevention, MSNBC, Women's Day, Fox, Fast Company, Psychology Today, and as a guest on the Dr. Oz Show. She is the author of numerous books, including her new book, Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity, including groundbreaking insight on the seven types of rest needed to optimize your productivity increase your overall happiness, overcome burnout, and live your best life. Over 100,000 people have discovered their personal rest deficits using her free assessment at restquiz.com. So you can learn more about Dr. Sandra at ichoosemybestlife.com and drdaltonsmith.com. So Sandra, welcome back to the All Things Podcast. Yes. Hi, Athena. Yes. In fact, last time we talked, we were addressing the pandemic and and the things the media isn't telling us about that. So this, uh, I was excited to bring you back on and talk about this topic that, you know, just the church has not done a very good job at really standing up and, and speaking out against racial injustice. And, you know, uh, I just wanted our listeners to hear your story and kind of hear how you've struggled from many different perspectives. And just, I'm going to just give you the floor. Yeah. So I think, you know, growing up in the South, that's always been an issue in the my area of where I've lived. But it really became, I think, to the forefront of my mind when I married my husband and we moved to from Georgia to Alabama. So I'm in an interracial marriage. And so when we moved, we were both looking for a new church home. And it was one of those situations where, you know, my husband at the time was not really strong in his faith. He wasn't a believer at the time. And I was trying to introduce him to the faith. And it was very discouraging because most of the churches that we went to there was very little acceptance of 
our relationship. Mm. And so I can recall, you know, going to one, you know, having people come over to the house to, you know, when you move into a new location, you have all of these people come that are setting up and plugging up and hooking up all the things in your home. And they would invite us to their church. And we think, well, that was a great person. <laughs> Let's, you know, yeah, let, we'll accept it. We'll go, we'll go there this Sunday. And we would show up and there was, there was just this obvious dislike of our presence there. There was mm. no welcoming presence. There were no smiles. There were no handshakes. And this wasn't COVID. We weren't social distancing. Oh. This was just people were not in a place of love. They were in a place of judgment and they were in a place of we like what we like and we what we're familiar with. And that was the scene that we saw in not one church, multiple churches. Wow. Each Sunday we would go to a different church, hoping myself, hoping that would be different. And so by the time we had gone to a few churches and met with the very same situation in each church, just this kind of stared at, no one welcoming, no one coming over to do the normal things that happen at most churches when a new person shows up. You know, it was very hard to tell my husband, who was an, a believer at the time, that the church was a place that we should even be trying to fit into. Mm. because those were not people that I would want my children growing up around. That was not a mentality that I would want to, to enforce anyone to have to be around. And I recall having someone, you know, invite us to, to their church after going through multiple ones and getting to a point where we were just like, you know, we're not going to even look for a while. We're just going to take a break. We've had all of the, all of the, you know, um, judgment and criticism we can stand for this this half of a year this six month period we're going to take a break and then someone brought it up again and I recall we were so desperate for trying to find a place or at least I was to find a place that we tried it again and I recall when we went to this particular church I have to believe that all of that that we went through it was like our our, our Romans 828 moment <laughs> It's like all of that that we went through was to get us to that location because this church was what is, was functioning as what I feel like the body of Christ should be functioning like. When we walked into their setting, it was, it was as if they enveloped us in mm -hmm. their love. Mm -hmm. They didn't know us. They didn't know anything about us. And it wasn't like, you know, we were showing up in like jeans to a church that everyone was dressed nice. I mean, we showed up dressed for church we showed up ready to go and you know so there wasn't any reason for these other churches to respond the way they did other than the fact i'm a black woman married to a white man and yep. we walked in as a couple except for they didn't agree with that and so we were used to it out in public you know at the time that we've been married for over 20 years at that the time our relationship wasn't the norm it wasn't common Right. And so we were used to that. We had no issue with that. We'd worked through that with our own families. So we, that was not the issue. The issue was, I thought the church would be different. Well, we should be. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But that was not what we found. But this particular church, um, I mean, Athena, it was, I, I've never felt love like that. And I, and this is where I think my husband actually came to the Lord mm. because that it was a tangible love. Right. We had people in that church who 
I, I grew up without a mother. He grew up with a very, a very present mother. And so what both of us kind of moved to an area where we had no family. We were all we had were each other. Mm. And there were some what I call mothers of the church within that church that took us in like family. I can recall one who invited me over to to her house for a Bible study. And, you know, I said no a few times because I didn't know what to expect. Right. And finally went. And this woman really became a uh, really a, a, a mother figure to both of us. I can't mm. tell you how many times she had us over for holidays with her other family, you know, with her kids and her grandkids and everybody else. And, and she treated us no different than she treated them. Mm. And this is someone who for the first time had met us within this church. I remember she was one of the very first people who, when we came in and, you know, everyone kind of welcomed us and to showed us where to sit and introduced themselves. She was one of the first people who immediately came to us and made herself available. Mm. And this wasn't fake or phony. It was who she was at her core. Right. And I, and I can, and I, she's passed now. She was a spiritual mother to me. And I remember standing up at her, her services. I was asked to speak at her services. I remember standing up and making this statement to the family for thanking them for lending her to me Mm. at a time that I so desperately needed someone to be that in my life. Because it was, she, she changed what I saw of what, the body of Christ could be because mm. she loved without limits. And I, and I really think that that's, that's something that for many of us, because we have never experienced love at that level, but that is what we, we need to really start working towards being able to love without the judgments, without the criticism and just openly. Mm. Amen. That, I mean, really, that is what the church should look like. And shame on us that we don't and that we would treat those who with a different skin color uh, with such uh, aloof and judgment. You know, it's really interesting because, you know, during that time when my we both my husband, and I grew up in Georgia. So like I said, we've been in the South forever. We, we're familiar with and we shouldn't have to be, but we're familiar with that culture of racism. It's just. It's, there's a, a long history of it in the South. Right. But I don't think we really realized how real it was until we, we got married and then moved to Alabama and just moved to a different area, smaller town. We both had been in big cities where, you know, you just, things aren't as kind of open mm-hmm. <laughs> in big cities. There, you know, the dislike of things aren't as open. But when we went to a smaller town in in Alabama, which is where my initial medical practice was set up, I can recall just even one of my first experiences in the hospital, uh, a gentleman, I, you know, I was in the ER. And so people who don't have a medical doctor, when you come in, you get assigned a position. And I was assigned this particular gentleman. And I recall him looking at me and he, he wasn't, honestly, I don't think he was trying to be offensive. I think he was just being fully truthful. He had no filter. Right, <laughs> so, right, right. So it wasn't like he was trying to be rude. He just had no filter. And he goes, I've never had a colored doctor before. And I was like, well, I, I mean, I was speechless. I, I didn't even know. What, I mean, my head was like, what did he just say? And, so, mm. and it, was, it was one of those situations where his wife and his daughter and his family that was in the room with him 
realized that that wasn't like politically correct mm-hmm. uh, statement to give. They were, but they couldn't say anything because I was standing right there. And I, and I honestly, I believe that it's just Holy Spirit gave me, you know, a, a moment of grace to not just get like all offended. Right. Because in that moment, because honestly, like I said, the way he said it, it did not come off. It did not come off as offensive. It came off as a matter, a, a statement of fact. Right. Right. And I, I remember saying, I said, well, lucky you, this is your first time. And, so, <laughs> and let me tell you, Athena, that patient became one of my biggest supporters. Wow. He actually got to the point within our relationship. Uh, I was his physician for over 20 years. He, mm-hmm. We actually got to a point where I remember one of my white male colleagues was covering for me and went into the room to see, to see my, this patient. And he refused to see him. He said, I will only see my doctor. Mm-hmm. Go find Dr. Dalton Smith. And, and that was another one of those moments when it's like, God, you've brought this thing kind of full circle. Right. And I think that's important for people to see. People do change. Right. People do change. He had, you know, he was saying something. I think sometimes when people kind of express things, I think when we're having race, racial conversations, it's important to understand that sometimes when people says, say something that to you is offensive, they may not know it's offensive. Exactly. It's not they, necessarily mean-spirited. It's an yes, ignorance. Exactly. He just, he, he didn't know that wasn't okay to say. <laughs> he was just stating a fact as he knew it. And honestly, it, it ended up being one of those situations where both of us had a decision at that moment. I mm-hmm. could have gotten all in my feelings, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> And let it escalate and turn into this big thing and right. would have missed out on this beautiful 20-year patient-physician relationship. Yeah. Or we could have just healed in that moment and tried to move forward past it. Which your um, levity, you know, and kind of, le- you know, making fun, at, not making fun of him, but just mm-hmm. making it a humorous moment, that was endearing. And that was... You know, that was a mature, healthy response. Well, I think we have to, you know, one of the things that that has stood out to me for a very long time when working with people, because, you know, as a physician, you you have to deal with all types of personalities um, as, as you do in any type of service mm-hmm. profession. I, I find that that is it really oftentimes comes down to a choice. There are lessons that can be taught in situations and those lessons don't have to be painful for everybody involved. Yeah. Sometimes it does require the ability to, as you say, not make light of the situation, but to lighten the load in the situation right. so that you can actually keep moving and you don't get kind of caught in the, in the ditch of it. And I, and I think for most people, when we talk about racial conversations, we have to understand that nobody knows the right thing to say all the time, right? Because you know, in a relationship, if you're being fully truthful, there are going to be times you say the wrong thing because the other person doesn't want to hear what you have to say, right? But you know, we just have to be willing to try. Can we stay in that place of conversation long enough, and to that we leave the place feeling as if we have been heard without being belittled or judged or put down in any way. Mm. 
And that's so good. That needs to be, especially, you know, those of us in white evangelicalism, you know, we need to really be proactive about having conversations, being willing to mess up and say we're sorry and, you know, learn from each other instead of drawing some sort of line in the sand. I think that's so true and so important that that is the steps I think that has to be taken is just getting to that point that we are willing to have hard conversations and stay in a place of of working through some of the difficult parts of it, you know, particularly within the church, you know, they often call it what the most segregated hour um, Mm. because of the way the churches kind of divide between white churches and black churches, as we call them, you know, but that is not a health, that is not a healthy way of looking at it. Um, because for most of us, if we are looking at it as I go to a white church or I go to a black church, then what ends up happening, it does stay segregated. Mm-hmm. I think there needs to be more opportunities, you know, where maybe a predominantly white church and a predominantly black church purposefully do things together. Yeah. So that, you know, although we're not telling both churches to completely redo your your membership or who's there because you don't necessarily have a choice over who's decided to adopt you as their church but can we can we have times when we are purposefully trying to come together and make sure that we're not keeping this divisiveness and this segregated mentality within the body of Christ mm. this is so good so good and we have a long way to go but I think we you know, just beginning to have the conversation and, and really be, you know, have that sense of humility, like, wow, we don't really know. We don't, I mean, really, it's been kind of one of those eye openers for me. Like, I can't believe I've never really thought about it and, and wondered, uh, you know, how my black brothers and sisters have been affected. And so, you know, we, we need to hear each other. We need to love each other and with humility, learn from each other. Absolutely. And, you know, both of us are involved in Christian publishing. I have to be honest with you. One of my most discouraging moments as a black female has been at a Christian writers conference. Um, specifically, I went to one uh, really early in my writing career. I did not have a book out at that time or anything like that. And I can remember being, it was a very kind of um, expensive conference. (laughs) It was an exclusive kind of expensive conference, very uh, difficult to try to kind of get to the location, just lots of barriers that were set up with this particular conference. And I remember, you know, when I was, when I was signing up for it, I thought to myself, you know, oh, this is going to be so great because it's, it's this kind of private close knit group of 50 people and they're going to make sure we have time with all these famous authors and we get to have lunch with the authors and all of this stuff and I was so excited and I got there and you know it was very obvious after the first one or two sessions that I was the only person of color in the room Mm. and I mean of any color right (laughs) right there were no Asians there were no Latinos I mean any color and I was the only person of any color in the room and I thought, okay, well, okay, you know, that's not the first time, you know, that, that, that that's happened in my life. So I was okay to keep going, no big deal. 
And then I recall as we were taking a break and I was walking back to, we were walking, I was walking kind of back to the hotel in between one of the breaks. I remember one of the other attendees turning to me and say, so how does it feel to be the only black person here? Wow. I remember going to that room and I'm going to cry just thinking about it. It hurt me so bad. Oh. I, I, I did not want to leave my room again. Wow. I've never felt so alone in my life. Mm. Mm. Well, and you know what, what that reminds me of is just last year. I was down at like the granddaddy of all Christian writers conferences and I was on an editorial panel and someone was brave enough to ask from the audience. So what about a a fiction um, story that has a character that's biracial or that is, uh, you know, a mixed Mm -hmm. marriage yeah. And I mean, there were like three editors on the panel who just said, yeah, we wouldn't publish that. I'm wow. like, what? That's the truth. <laughs> That's the truth. I was shocked. Of the world that I've seen in Christian publishing. That is the truth of it. And it's hard. To, it's hard to swallow. Yeah. As a Christian writer. Because, I, you know, I can see in. And kind of a general market publisher saying something like that, you know, if they said something like that, I would almost be able to take it more. Mm-hmm. But to to hear that from a Christian publisher or to be at a Christian writing conference and have that kind of experience, it just it it I I, I still can't believe it. <laughs> I know I, I lived it and I still can't believe it. Yeah. So it's it's just interesting, you know, who calls themselves followers of Christ. Because it's hard to see the witness of that, yeah, and, the, and how they live with, with regards to racial relationships. Exactly. I mean, really, I'm still I'm still shocked that that they had that they could even not be sheepish about it. I mean, I would have probably been embarrassed to have to say that I represent a publishing house that wouldn't allow, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, black people or a black and white marriage or biracial children to to be part of a story i i mean i i just floored me but we've got a long way to go we really do and and again that's where the white church has to stand up and say that's wrong i agree i agree i think that's an important thing to make sure that really that there's that everyone's voice is represented in the body mm-hmm that it's not just one majority representation, but that there is representation of every voice. Yeah. Amen. Amen. This has been so good. I think we could like just keep going for another hour, but I probably ought to wrap this up. So Sandra, if there's someone that's listening, they want to connect with you, they want to, um, you know, just follow you on wherever you're at on social media. What's the, I know I gave a couple of websites at the beginning. What's the, where are you most active on social media? Uh, Facebook, I would probably say that's where I spend most of my time as far as um, posting and communicating. So Facebook, I have a site at Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith. And so that would be the easiest way to connect with me. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Do you want, just as we close, 
do you have maybe just a thought or a scripture or just something to leave our listeners with that they can ponder over just all of this that we've been talking about? Yes, I would probably say it's um, Ephesians 4.29. I was recently um, listening to a a message. I can't recall the, her name. You may know it. It's, I think it's Florence. Oh, um, Littauer, on, the silver boxes. Yes, yes. Yes. And I was recently listening to her sermon and it was talking about Ephesians 4.29. And I know she's recently um, actually uh, transitioned to heaven. Mm-hmm. But uh, this message just, I listened today, actually a little bit ago, and it just floored me. And the scripture is, let no correct word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, that is a mindset that each of us should have when communicating with others, mm. and specifically with race relations. Amen. What a good, I mean, really, how can you, like, I, I guess it's like, do we not know that scripture? wow that is so good and that is that's a great um parting thought for us to all ponder let no unwholesome words come out of our mouth but only those things that build others up according their need that may benefit those who listen oh amen thank you my friend it's been good to have you on oh it's always a pleasure thank you amen So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful. Or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as You know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next week.